Andy's funny. Time for the show. We live in a divided world, divided religiously, politically, and economically. Oftentimes in our world, we want to run away from tough conversations that divide us about grief, pain, and loss. We want to avoid topics like shame, guilt, and pride. We'd rather escape to our phones instead of engaging in real conversations. I know this because I do this. So I created the Winter Faith Podcast. The Winter Faith Podcast is focused on creating conversations to promote spiritual and emotional growth through faith, apathy, and everything in between. So, let's talk to each other. Yet more importantly, let's listen to each other. Let's continue the conversation. My name is Andy, and I have Winter Faith. We only really become better if we can receive feedback. And I think people are just absolutely terrified to give feedback to Mm -hmm. other people, it seems like, or receive it. That's true. Those two go together too. I mean, like to, to hear critique is, uh, is difficult. Um, but to, I guess to seek it out is, is wise. Yeah. Like you, I mean, you've spent a lot of time teaching wisdom literature and like, you know, Mm -hmm. and then personally, like raising three kids, being married, being a part of church, like all those things require, like, you're, you're spending time grading papers like that is feedback. And like, if yeah. you, you are in a room and it's like, you give me a Hebrew quiz and I get answers wrong. You're like, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. But it's like, right. and it's fine. You tell me what I did. Right. And it's like, not personal, I guess. Maybe it is for some students. But then if it's like, Hey, I'm going to tell you about my marriage and you give me feedback, it's totally different. And uh, yeah, there's something about the construct of a classroom mm-hmm. that and the, the roles are really clearly defined between a teacher and a student. And I think in real life, we don't experience that kind of structure very often and that that really aids giving and receiving critique. Yeah. And I guess just getting maybe my first question like on that is, okay, I'm talking with my friend Lance, who's a, Um, professor at Harding and when you yeah when you talk about like you just said like a classroom there's like this relationship teacher student and the student comes seeking advice like when you're talking about like giving wisdom for your kids is it like I'm very much in kid mode parent mode these days with two kids being at home literally 24 7 because they're doing school and, and daycare. My house is a daycare and a school. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like how, how do you like get, man, this is a, messing up the question, but it's like, how, is there some way to have that type of teaching relationship with your kids and like how you transition? Like now I'm going to teach you something, you know? It, yeah, it's, that's hard. Especially like, I think specifically with like when you're teaching faith, when you're teaching, yeah. Like how to, I don't know what I think of just like wisdom, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and you know more about the wisdom tradition and stuff. So I'm curious about that too. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, just in real life, practicality, I think that changes some as your kids grow up, at least in my experience. Um, But there's still like when you're the parent child relationship is different and needs to be different than Mm -hmm. the teacher student relationship. And I am grateful for those people who have the teacher student mentor kind of spiritual leader role in my kids' life that work mm. kind of fulfill that role to some extent. I mean, obviously we're still teachers as parents and I think a lot of the parental teaching uh, as far as, especially with Christian faith matters is just by virtue of witness. I mean, you live with your kids. They see what you do in your free time, uh, all of that bears witness to what you believe in. And um, and then like, as far as critiquing and <laughs> some of my kids, it's like walking on eggshells. Like, cause I, you, you know, yeah, you, you have wisdom to give and st- children need to listen to their parents and their experiences. But I, in my experience, like telling stories um, is better than just like, straightforward admonition you shouldn't be doing this you should be doing this and i do that probably more than tell stories but what's really effective is and what's like lasting is i think the combination of witness and like just sharing experiences being sort of open with places you messed up and lessons you've learned along the way i mean there's still times where i like okay so the other week uh you know, like little things come up all the time. Like, mm-hmm. do my teenage kids out oh, wash between their toes, right? So at a certain point, you don't bathe your kids anymore, right? And so, right, right, right. And now that you lose touch with, you know, are they with their hygiene? And uh, it's <laughs> like, well, they should wash, they should be washing behind their ears, let's say. Let's maybe go behind your ears. Uh-huh. And it came up in conversation, and I'm like, you, and I just kept on saying, and it became a joke, but at the same sure, time sure. I was teaching them. It's like, it's important to wash behind your ears. <laughs> so there's dad, there's stuff like that, that I think yeah. you can make sort of, you, you can let them know this is not the most vital thing in the world, but Hey, here's some good advice, mm-hmm, parental mm-hmm. advice. And I think, you know, that, but that's hearing and that the way that you teach those ty- types of lessons really does factor over into faith matters. Although I think I'm especially careful in some ways with just admonitions about faith. Um, hmm. What do you, you're, what do you say you're extra care or very careful or extra? I don't know. You just pick your times. I mean, I've definitely, yeah, it's interesting. Like you, th- you think, okay, so I teach Bible and, uh, I, my kids go to a school where they have Bible classes, right? So they get like biblical teaching. And yet I'm every once in a while, I'll become really aware that I have never really sat down with my kids and like walked them through biblical criticism. And I've never sat yeah. or maybe more importantly, I've never sat and sat them down and like, let's talk about the Psalms and how to pray the Psalms or something else. And Maybe that's so that's maybe well, a neglected area in my in my instruction. But yeah. this is where I come back to like they know what I do. And I think, you know, um 
there are times where we have conversations, but the kind of that just kind of flow out of the quantity of time. And I'll just ask them questions about what they're learning in different areas. So I know you said you haven't like sat down and, and talked to them about, you know, the, the Psalms and, you know, what is, you know, more information about the Psalms, but it's like, they did see you like teach in church for how many years? Like, yeah, a yeah that's true. I, I think that's true. I think that happens better. And that kind of witness and church participation happens better in smaller churches than bigger churches. Yeah. And so, but, I mean, yeah. Cause I think about that, that too. It's like, you obviously, they've seen you like I always have been this phrase of like more is caught than taught and and so they definitely have that from you know their kids so I know that it gets into a little bit of like um the parenting stuff but like I said that's just where my mind is at in these sure in these times um what have when when I talk about like winter faith and like the idea of my podcast is like having conversations with people about faith, apathy, everything in between um, that I don't think like doubt is the opposite of faith. I think it's like a part of it. And I know that, you know, you look at Job as wisdom literature and you look at, you know, other people in the Bible as they're like learning and growing. But I was just curious, like, what do you see from the Bible when you see people like wrestling with their faith, like, is there things in the Bible I should pay attention to and study more when this idea of like winter faith, I always wanted to kind of ask you that. Like, it's like who had winter faith in the Bible? Cause I like, I have my opinions, but I was curious about what you think of, of that. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to talk about winter faith characters in the Bible and yeah, Mm -hmm. Job, no doubt comes to mind. Um, yeah. I, on the one hand, like I definitely think that's there and I totally agree with you that doubt is an important part of faith and some mm-hmm. pe- for some people they kind of learn to wrestle with that at diff- more than others. And it's okay right. if people don't, but sure. Um, so typically at least with the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, the characters that come to mind are just the psalmists. I, th- I think in a, the, the narrative as far as narrative characters go than Job. There may be some others. I think Jeremiah, like to think about some of the prophets, how they wrestle with I, they're, they're in all these characters. It's not so much uh, a doubt in the existence of God, some sort of like, do I believe that God exists? Right. As much as do I believe that God is paying attention? Um, so the, what's wrestled with is not, not even so much a belief, but an experience of the absence or the presence of God. So in the Psalms, I think really get at this so well. And then I'll, maybe I can talk about Job, but just to start with the Psalmist, because, you know, lament is an important part. In other words, for lament, for the lament Psalms, we might think of protest um, or a complaint most of these lament psalms like one of my favorite psalms is psalm 89 for this so psalm 89 starts out by talking by confessing belief right so i believe that you are a god committed to steadfast love that you have made these promises um, and you are going to fulfill these promises 
So like this kind of certainty almost about God's faithfulness. And then, um, and then the psalmist moves into like hymns, choruses about how God has shown his faithfulness and creation uh, from the beginning of, I know, uh, of time. It's really about God's majesty and God's kingship in the first stanza. And then the, the second stanza is about God's faithfulness and loyalty to his king. So like the Davidic promises that God made to David, uh, that the king from David's line would sit on the throne of Judah. So these are the promises that the psalmist is pronouncing. I believe this. But then there's this major shift. It's a kind of a long psalm. There's this major shift in the psalm toward, but now, why aren't you doing what you promised? And the psalmist prays in a way that I think most uh, Christians who I know would be really uncomfortable with, but saying, you made these promises, you used to do, you used to be showing your power, but now we're experiencing your absence. We are not experiencing your steadfast love. You know, we're not experiencing your faithfulness. And so their doubt is not, is God there, right? Does God exist? It's as much as, is God, does God care about us? Is God faithful? Is he, is he, um, is he present? And, and a lot of the Psalms then will come back to uh, some sort of confession, you know, or hope uh, for the future. But that particular Psalm, so without getting too far into the weeds, um, is the last Psalm of uh, book three of the Psalms. That's right. Um, and it, it, the last Psalm in the, there's five books within the Psalms, five collections. The last Psalm ends in doxology, but in that Psalm, like there's still a, a note of doxology where it's praising God, but it's short and it's brief and abrupt. And it's sort of like this, I'm still here moment, or I still believe I'm still following, but I'm waiting, right? I'm, I don't see what I, yet your faithfulness. I'm not experiencing it, but I'm still here. To me, that gets at the way that I think, uh, I mean, I'm sure there are differences in people's experiences of winter faith, but it does get at this kind of wrestling confession. And I love that we have those so often those throughout the Psalms and in that, that testimony is there in the Bible. Yeah. And I think, you know, I agree. They're not wrestling with like, they're not atheists wrestling and trying to figure out right. if, if there's a God or not, but they are, I like, I like what you said. Like, does God, is God still paying attention? I think that's, that's really good. I hadn't thought of that um, way to phrase it, but I think the question that, maybe I wrestle with is like, is there like, is God good? Is this going to be all worth it? Whatever I'm going through, is it going to be, you know, all happy at the end and I'm going to forget about the hard things or like, is God good? Is God on my side? Do you think that's yeah. similar to, excuse me. Right. Um, yeah. So a lot of doubt is, you know, in modern conversation is, you know, God, yeah, it does deal with the issue of God's goodness. Mm -hmm. um, 
the theodicy question, is God just? If mm-hmm. God is, you know, the kind of the classic, if, if God is all powerful, then how could he allow this evil to exist on earth? So he's either all powerful or all good, you know, these types of things. And you get into kind of a, and I think an important, not to be neglected, philosophical conversation but it's and it is rooted in to some degree in people's experiences of evil and suffering so it's not void of uh, being in touch with experience but to some degree it becomes this kind of philosophical question that is not the, the lament psalms i think flow out of this kind of experience of being abandoned by god um, and I think being people, left alone. I think people feel that, you know, just most of my listeners like go to church and, um, you know, specifically church of Christ. And so I, I just wonder, like, can we talk about this stuff more? Cause I think more people have that experience than actually say it. And we're so afraid. Yeah. Like, I, I agree. Like if people prayed like the Psalms from what, I've studied in the Psalms. Yeah. People don't, I, you know, we don't pray like that very often, but I think yeah. it's, we could. Yeah. It's good to try it out. I think that actually the, the lament Psalms are really helpful with this. They're like, just try to pray like this and see what happens. Uh, not just like what the results are. People think of prayer as yeah. pretty results oriented, but just see what happens in your relationship with God. And I think mm-hmm. uh, there's this kind of voice here waiting for us to take up when we speak it, it does shape the way that we commune and live with God. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I speak personally, like a person who has wrestled with doubts, but they tend to be sort of heady, more along the lines of the existence of God. That's not like the pinpoint of it, but just sort of, you know, are you out there? And less so with, is God paying attention to me? I think that's so, inf- that's really informed by just sort of this idea of God um, being uh, all-powerful and sort of ab- abstract, where this idea of presence and absence, like that's so through, that really is throughout the Bible. Like, why aren't you paying attention to me? And um, God drew near and and like to the Egyptian, the Israelite slaves in Egypt. You know, He paid attention. He heard the sounds of their cry. Well, then that mean, and then he drew near and he started like, oh, and we get this ima- image in the Bible, almost like, oh, I didn't know this was going on. I'm going to do something about this. And so the cry out, the outcry to God is to say, hey, pay attention to us. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's not the notion or even the experience of God that I have had personally of, I'm going to pray so that and sing so that God will pay attention, sing louder, you know, um, that just seems ungodlike to me. And so on the one hand, I, I think that's kind of the notion that comes across in a lot of these old Testament texts and how people are relating to God. Um, but sometimes that can be hard to relate to, I think. And yet it, I think it's really helpful for uh, getting out of our heads, just sort of this kind of cognitive doubt uh, uh, toward, you know, working it out philosophically. I mean, and it really is in touch with maybe the experience that some people feel, especially being left alone. 
anyway, that's just me saying out loud that like, although I spend my time with this literature and I recognize what it's saying about God's presence and absence, on the other hand, like my doubt tends to be more cognitive um, and more about, you know, does God exist than is God here or not? And yet, the more I study this, the more I take kind of take up this language, it's been really informative for me and helpful in my own faith walk to sort of sing this lament instead of sort of dwell in the, the question of God's existence. What do you feel like are, like you said, you've had like more, yeah, like the, does not is God paying attention, but like does God exist and like the more heady doubt. Um, I think it's like um, Brian McLaren who talks about um, he has a couple of different labels for doubt and that some of them are more like intellectual and some of them are more emotional. I think mine has always been the more emotional doubt. And I'm just curious, like, have you, can you pinpoint like moments in your life or seasons of your life that, when you've had more questions or you've, you know, been seeking more, needed more answers, like seasons or periods of what I would call like winter faith, but just, yeah, just you're learning more. Yeah. Um, College was a time for me where I was breaking down. I would, there's this kind of, for me, it's sort of seasons of deconstructing Mm -hmm. and really thinking like, why do I believe? And then kind of rebuilding. Rebuilding is always a part of it for me. Um, And uh, so the college was a time for that. Although like, it's interesting, like that that was a time where I was just, I was at a Christian college. I was surrounded by, you know, I was at like devotionals and worship settings almost every night of the week. And so it's paired with um, confession. I'll put it that way. Like worship, I think, is an experience of a community with God and with other believers. There's a lot, I think, that is helpful about doubting in the midst of uh, a worshiping community. So the, co- the college was a, a time for me for that, maybe because it's just sort of na- a natural time uh, for thinking through things, um, independence and so on. Um, I, I think I have had, you know, so I, 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 in some ways I live with this, um, but there are probably especially pointed times um, that grow out of conversations uh, with sometimes other believers or sometimes non-believers about, um, about faith. And so it gets me thinking on this trajectory, like even here, since we moved to Memphis, um, it was a couple of conversations that were happening with former friends or current friends, friends. Uh, So conversations that were happening with friends who had been formerly been believers and were not any longer. And they sort of experienced, they went through their seasons of doubt and and adventures of searching alone. Um, So by the time I heard about it, it was, they had already made up their minds. And so, but it's still those important conversations of um, they're asking really good questions about, um, you know, about 
the existence of God. Uh, and I, you know, especially I tend to have conversations that relate to the nature of the Bible. Right. And I, this is what has become a really big teaching point for me too. And probably the source, the because I was raised with a faith that was so intertwined with uh, the authority of the biblical of the Bible. Um, that's been sort of the grounding for these conversations and these, this pattern. So is the Bible reliable has been kind of a, uh, a touch point in all of these conversations. And so in times when I'm dealing, I've been learning a lot of biblical criticism, which are some, which is wrongly framed sometimes as a uh, undercutting the authority of the Bible Biblical criticism is just a set of really good questions to ask about how we got this Bible and who who is behind the how we got this and what does it teach us? So I would now I would reframe that question is, you know, what is it authoritative for? In what way is it authoritative more than just the assumption that everything has to be accurate in the historical scientific sense to be authoritative? But but early on, those were questions I was wrestling with. And so when I would be presented with biblical criticism, even in seminary or in my PhD work, or now I, this is what I teach, you know, it'll, I'm always working through um, doubt or dealing with doubt or, you know, I don't know, it's dealing with doubt as much as, you know, dealing with those questions that grow out of, uh, that that kind of wrestling with the validity and the the authority of the Bible. Yeah, so, yes, yeah, I, I was I doing that in right. college. I was doing that in seminary. I was doing that in my PhD work, and I'm still doing that in my teaching. You know, I think you're right, Lance. And something that I forget, just because I'm in, like, I'm I'm in a new you know, I'm, I moved from Memphis to Raleigh. I'm out of the kind of theological circles. Like I'm still in church and have friends that went to seminary and stuff. But, um, I think I forget that for our movement specifically, it's not so much doubting God, doubting the goodness of God. It's wrestling with an, a understanding of scripture. And that actually, yeah. You got me thinking because it's like, that's probably what people really, really wrestle with more. I think that's actually a better way to frame it is like, okay, the Bible is different when you were in fourth grade and you had mm-hmm. flannel graphs and that's how you learned scripture. Yeah. And then you went to college and then you, you know, took your old Testament class and your new Testament class and a couple other classes you know, non-Bible majors. And then you're like, now you're raising kids or you're working through like your job and you go to church with other people that are not church of Christ. And then you're trying to figure out like, yeah, what do I do with this book? 66 books, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And there's a real danger that comes along with like bibliolatry. Right. So that, uh, I'll sometimes sort of provocatively say in my classes that I don't believe in the Bible because that's sort of shocking. I want to just, (laughs) but then I always refine that because I think some people, a lot of the reasons for people in our 
movement and more Bible oriented, some evangelical type of context mm-hmm. is that they're raised to believe in God because of the authority of the Bible. Yeah. It's like the foundations, right? But then there's this other side that people who leave faith and don't believe in God, it's because of the lack of authority of the Bible. So like they mirror each other. Um, this kind of wrong headed notion of what the Bible is, is at once the foundation for a lot of people's faith, I think a, a, a faulty foundation. And it, but it's also like the evidence against the existence of God somehow. And I know that there's more to it than all of this. I do think experience and, you know, uh, there's there's more to these decisions, but the Bible is still kind of this uh, touch point for both sides arguing for and against uh, Christianity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that I think does flow out of a a misunderstanding um, of what the Bible is and how it's authoritative and how we read it and what kinds of questions we ask of it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so there. And there's plenty that goes on to it. It's, for me, it's one of the major reasons that I'm passionate about thinking about like the backgrounds of the Bible and how the Bible came to be and how we read it and the kinds of questions we ask of it. Yeah. And I don't know if it was you, Lance, or somebody else, but I, I think of you uh, regardless that um, kind of taught me some of the stuff, you know, from Pete Enns and some of the mm-hmm. work that he's done. Um, he has a book on, um, I can't remember the name of it. I have it somewhere behind me, but um, like he has like his parenting book with the Bible. Have you seen that one? Okay. No, I didn't expect that one. Uh, and I the Bible really, tells me so and things or he has. Yeah, no, this one is like specifically how to teach your kids. And um, oh, okay. I really, yeah, I really heard have, talk about that. I really have enjoyed that. And it's been really helpful for me to explain it to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think Pete Enns does a really good job and I mean, I know people don't like him, whatever, but like, I just think he's been really helpful for me. And so I guess I'm curious who have been the people, I mean, I'm sure he's one of them too, but who have been the people that maybe have helped you the most with your view of, yeah, of scripture at this point. Yeah. That's a hard one. Cause it's probably a lot, it's happened a lot really of slowly for me over time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say I, I am a fan of, I, I still assign um, inspiration incarnation. I always get that whether it's incarnation. Yeah, that's the way it goes. No, I think that's right. Um, to my students, because it, not so much because I think it's like a rock solid argument for everything, but yeah, I think it's a really nice uh, book for opening conversation and acknowledging um kind of the origins of our Bible and he's writing to evangelicals who might be sort of wrestling with these questions. And so I mm-hmm. think his trajectory, and he also writes that in this, when he was still teaching at a, a conservative evangelical seminary. So it's like, he's being overly, I would use more hard hitting examples than he does, but he's still making, I think a lot of really good points. And so I, he has been a, I, I think a, an important voice, uh, especially for the particular community we're talking about where evangelicals who are um, re, not rethinking, but like being, being, especially with biblical questions, bringing 
are being faced with historical criticism are just kind of basic science and that are, mm-hmm. that are kind of tearing at the roots of their faith. And it, so I think he and his podcast has been um, helpful for a lot of, a lot of folks. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it's faithful teachers and professors along the way who uh, live their faith and have wrestled with a lot of biblical criticism, starting with my dad, you know, like Mm. from being young. And then, uh, you know, I grew up, I really, I didn't know a lot of the Church of Christ things growing up. Um, I don't know about you, Andy, but I would just suspect that it was similar. Like, I didn't know the five acts of worship until I went to college and I heard other like Church of Christ people talking about these things. I grew up hearing sermons about Jesus and really being like, so obviously the Bible was important. I knew that. Um, that was the book for me. But uh, I, really at the heart of my faith was being a follower of Jesus and the things that's really gospels focused. I think that served me well for not having like to have this kind of major crisis or conversion of faith. So it was, it's been, but still it's been progressive. Um, so professors at York, I went to York College and then Harding School of Theology where I am now, um, professors there who, other, other fellow students, I remember, you know, conversations about Paul um, and uh, Paul's sociology and theology sort of growing up t- together, you can't separate them from one another. Or conversations in class um, about kind of how contexts, ancient Near Eastern contexts matter. You know, so like Fortner, you've, I'm sure you've been talking about, he, he was helpful to me. And it's a good example of lots of others. Alan Black was, was helpful to me. Um, and then since that time, I mean, it's just kind of a constant conversation. Uh, my students are helpful to me um, now. Uh, sort of working together in that I, I it's hard for me to pinpoint like this person yeah. shaped everything the way that i think about these things but you do it's i mean i'm you're uh, we're similar it's like those it's very relational like we grew yeah. up in a in a place that's very relational and if it's if it's one thing that i've learned is like when you have a healthy community that you can process whatever you're going through in life it's it's usually better, you know, when you're isolated processing everything, you're not getting feedback, you're not getting other people's opinions, you're, that's, that's when people, I think, go down a more difficult path, maybe they eventually come out, but it's definitely more difficult, and probably significantly less enjoyable, if you're not doing it with a community. Yeah, I think that's one reason why it's so important for churches uh, to not just be open to doubt and conversations and questioning, but to actually anticipate it and look for ways to ask the questions first. Um, for churches to anticipate what people are going to. Yeah. So I think about, I, I think it's actually re- a compare there. Every comparison breaks down it, ex- to some extent, but to think about, parents uh, talking to their kids about sex mm-hmm. okay uh and do you, 
or do, do we want our kids to learn about sex from the internet and YouTube or, you know, doing, or do we want them to have some sort of voice of, of wisdom who can frame it uh, correctly and yeah. teach, you know, teach them about it. So do you, and if churches want to, churches ought to be leading the way in teaching their, teaching their young folks and having conversations about the most intimate and personal matters. And clearly faith is one of those, right? I mean, do we want people to, to wrestle with their doubts on the internet? Or do we want people to wrestle with their doubts in a community of faith? Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people who don't feel welcome uh, to, they're, they're, they sense at least that they would be ostracized if they raised, raised questions in right. the faith community. And then, so they don't ask the questions, so they spend, you know, they Google things. And there's all sorts of, uh, I would call sort of faithless uh, information uh, so outside of the church, and it's not all bad. It doesn't mean that the church has like a corner on it all, everything that's true. It's just that there's a, a healthy way, I think, to ask these questions within a faith context. And churches need to not just be able to have that one person you could have a side conversation with, you know, within the church, but in some ways like lead into asking some of these questions and helping. But a lot of churches aren't there themselves. So I, to me, they're, that's the, where the relationships happen. For me, that's been my experience. I've had faithful Christians to walk alongside um, who are open to my questions, or maybe even have been the first to ask the questions that have witnessed to me that like, you know, they struggle with the existence of God or, you know, or, you know, the, the messianic identity of Jesus. Mm -hmm. These, I mean, and sort of, I'm, Whenever I hear like a mentor of mine ask a question like that or say, yeah, sometimes think about that. It's sort of like shocking. And yet it, it totally welcomes me into having that conversation with them and not just independently. Um, mm -hmm. It's a, sh I think it's a real detriment uh, to our, a lot of people walk away from faith because they don't have a conversation partner with in the church. Yeah. Well, I agree. I mean, that's somewhat of what I'm trying to do is to have a little uh, small corner of the world where I can at least bring up stuff with people that, that, you know, that I talk to and it's kind of, mm -hmm. it's kind of neat to be able to, to get your um, insight recorded. Cause I know I've heard some of it before, but now, I, you know, now mm -hmm. I can capture it for all time. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I may have said one other thing and I mentioned this earlier, but, for me, just personally, um, worship has been uh, really essential in sort of when, when we sing, um, and I know we're not doing a lot of that these days, uh, but when we sing, we, we, or and when we pray, we sort of demonstrate our faith. These are the things I believe. And in fact, like we sing songs that, that you know, our church Sometimes the alliance is like, man, I'm not sure I believe that, but I sing it anyway, and I'm singing it with the community. And it's okay to say, um, I think that experience, that cognitive dissonance that might come along with that, that's okay. But also it draws me into an experience of God's presence. 
and it's healing and it's informative. It's not just brain activity, it's bodily activity and experience of being with God. And when we commune, uh, one thing that I often remind myself is that I'm still walking. I'm still pursuing God. I'm still loved by God. You know, these kind of confessions that, and that still word is really important to me that when I take the cup and eat the bread, it's saying, I'm, I'm following, I'm a disciple. And that's at root, like where I will always be, that will always be my confession. This will always be my pursuit to, to follow Jesus. And then, yeah, it doesn't always look messy. Uh, I mean, it often looks messy. Um, there's sin involved, right? There's forgiveness involved, but like the greatest joys that I have ever experienced have been in following Christ. And all the, I think the Eucharist and worship, they, it's not what it's all about, but it's um, when we do that together as a community, uh, God works in those events. And it really, for me, it's been this reminder uh, I don't know, not just even a reminder, but it, it has grounded my faith often in times when I've been really wrestling with faith. Thanks for listening to this show today, everybody. I just want to give a few shout outs. Today's music, the one and only Josh Cleveland. Today's artwork and all the winter faith, artwork and digital design, Dominique Montaigne. The intro was done by Scarlet Fox, and I am just grateful to be creating and editing this podcast. My name is Andy Frazier. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Winter Faith Podcast. Subscribe subscribe on all those platforms, and also we are on Patreon if you would like to support the show, and also leave a review on iTunes at The Winter Faith Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.